I would ask you to take your Bibles, turn to the book of Judges, chapter 9. Judges, chapter 9. We continue our series through Judges, and I find that nothing happens by accident. The Lord put it upon my heart to preach through Judges beginning in January, and I find that these weeks have been very appropriate. We're in Judges chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 1 through 21, and then later in the sermon we'll read the end of the chapter. I would encourage you on your own time to read the whole thing so you get the grasp of what's going on, but we are going to be taking portions from this chapter since it is very lengthy this week. Please follow along. So we read verses 1 through 21 of Judges chapter 9. Then Abimelech, the son of Jerubal, went to Shechem, to his mother's brothers, and spoke with them, and with all the family of the house of his mother's father, saying, Please speak in the hearing of all the men of Shechem, which is better for you, that all seventy of the sons of Jerubal reign over you, or that one reign over you. Remember that I am your own flesh and bone. And his mother's brothers spoke all these words concerning him in the hearing of all the men of Shechem. And their heart was inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, He is our brother. So they gave him seventy shekels of silver from the temple of Balbereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless men, and they followed him. Then he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the seventy sons of Jeroboam, on the stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left because he hid himself. And all the men of Shechem gathered together, all of Beth Milo, and they went and made Abimelech king beside the terebinth tree at the pillar that was in Shechem. Now when they told Jotham, he went and stood on the top of Mount Gerizim, and lifted his voice and cried out, and he said to them, Listen to me, you men of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went forth to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Should I cease giving my oil, with which they honor God and men, and go to sway over trees? Then the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Should I cease my sweetness and my good fruit and go to sway over trees? And the tree said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Should I cease my new wine, which cheers both God and man, and go to sway over trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in truth you anoint me as king over you, then come and take shelter in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now therefore, if you have acted in truth and sincerity in making Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jeroboam and his houses and have done to him as he deserves, for my father fought for you, risked his life, and delivered you out of the hand of Midian, but you have risen up against my father's house this day and killed his seventy sons on one stone and made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the men of Shechem because he is your brother." 
If then you have acted in truth and sincerity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not, let fire come from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem and Beth Milo, and let fire come from the men of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled, and he went to Beer and dwelt there for fear of Abimelech, his brother. May the Lord add his blessing to the very reading of his word. Blessing and peace come when you rest entirely on the will, direction, word, and power of God. As we traced Gideon's administration the last couple of chapters, uh, what was made clear that he was blessed and successful when he relied on God. When in a situation where his own power was given up, and he gave himself wholly to the Lord, there was success. And we saw that when Gideon went his own way, ultimately it ended in tragedy. Now the last verses of chapter 8 tell of Gideon's end. It tells of how he continued to disobey the Lord, how he took unto himself multiple wives. And we see in the scripture that when marriage is outside of the creation ordinance of one man and one woman, we always see some sort of tragedy. Because of multiple wives from different nations, he ends up with 70 sons, and one son from one of those nations rises up against the rest of them. And that's what the narrative picks up on in chapter 9. Gideon, I said last week ends ultimately in spiritual failure. There may have been rest politically for a little while in the land, but it was doomed to end because he opened the gate to idolatry once again, which started in disobedience. Blessing came with the obedience and reliance upon the grace and power of God. Gideon, of course, was a mixed bag. We said that. He was a complicated figure. He had his good moments, and he had his bad moments. Abimelech, his son, is not a mixed bag. Abimelech never relies upon the Lord. Abimelech cares only about himself. Abimelech wants control. He wants control so much that he will commit evil to get it. Consider control for a moment. Consider what it is. Consider how intoxicating it is. Consider how much we desire control. You may not want control of the world or of a country or even of a business, but you want control. You want empowerment. Sometimes control is twisted, and sometimes control is hidden under the guise of something called liberty. It's a false comfort control. And it's false to twist it into something that it's not. It's a false virtue. Ultimately, selfish control is a sin. Because at its heart is me. And what I get, and what I want, and what I need, and what I desire, and how everything should revolve around my will. When we desire control, what our heart is really seeking is a desire for God-like status. Plain and simple. 
You can deny it and you say, oh, that's an extreme, that's a jump. But think about it. When you want to be in control, you are ultimately desiring that you are God. Abimelech sees an opportunity. He is a man of ambition. And his ambition prevails in the situation. And he takes control and, and out of manipulation for his on his own authority. Not seeking the wisdom of God. Not seeking the instruction of God. But saying, you know, I want this. My father may have said, no, the Lord will rule over you and I will not be your king. But he was foolish. I will be your king. And of course, wanting to be like God is the original sinful human desire. We have to always remember that that is how we got in this mess in the first place. Wanting to be like God. That's how we got here in the first place. There was one thing that our ancestors, our parents, could not have control over. They were given the stewardship of all the world and they lived in the perfect garden everything was at their hand everything uh, came together in harmony and beauty and ease but there was one thing that they were told they couldn't have and of course the devil comes in and entices them and picks at that one little thing because they want control and, of course, they disobey God in that one thing. They take the act. They do it. They go for it. Because the devil says, you will be like God. You will know good and evil. You will have a power over everything once you cross this border and take control. Now, note our reactions when we are not in control. That's very telling. Humanity as a whole, when it loses control, when it loses the, the illusion of control, more realistically, we respond in very emotional ways. Notice how people then react to God when they feel as though they have lost their illusion of control. The person who seeks God, the person who loves God, will respond by laying themselves even more firmly on the hands of God and putting even more weight on Him. The person who loves God will recognize the situation that they were never really in control and turn to the one source that is in control. But the person who wants to be God reacts at the true God in sinful way. Just like Satan's emotion I shall ascend up. I shall be like the Most High. That's how people feel. When, and when that is taken from them, they'll respond to God in anger, in disbelief, in bitterness, in blame. How could he really be God if he is not blessing me this way? If he is not serving me the way that I feel that I should be served? That false control... That false control, when exposed, reminds us truly of the reality. That we are never in control. And it's unfortunate that when our desires matter most, evil follows. See, when we do make ourselves God, when we pretend to be God, we never are God, but we often pretend to be in situations. When our desires and our ease and our comforts and our fulfillment matters more than anything else, then evil follows. Most wars in history 
are the cause of uh, our desires mattering more than God or others' desires. You look at some of the injustices in our own culture. They exist because someone with more power and more control has deemed that more important than God's word and other people. Abortion, of course, fits into that category. I'm more important than someone else, and I'm more important than God. Marriage, changing that. I'm more important than God's word, and I'm more important than what really matters. When our desires matter most, evil follows. As with Adam and Eve, so with Abimelech. I want it, I got it. I want it, I got it. And that's the attitude of a culture now, but that has also strung through the human race for all since the fall. I shall be like the Most High. The ends justify the means. God helps those who help themselves, doesn't he? That's the way of death. That's the way of corruption. That's the way of instability. Look at every sin and every wandering from God's will. And you will see a disappointment, a dissatisfaction, and some type of evil that will come as a result. Me more than God. A me culture is a disastrous culture. Now, we look around and people are starting to talk about a panic because of current situations. I'm going to tell you that I do not believe people are really panicking right now. As a matter of fact, I think generally, everyone is trusting the authorities. It's a good thing. We have relative peace. But beware, in any situation of instability, of making yourself the authority. Beware of usurping God's place or the place of those whom he has put in power. Beware of taking authority upon yourself by your own self, because suffering will follow. Too many chefs spoil a soup, and too many kings destroy a world. Beware of that. Instead of being like God, instead of wanting what you want as the end of all, remember that all of God's commandments, all the law and the prophets come down to what? To love. Not internal love, but external. Love above, and love outward. All of God's word comes down to that, is what, the Jesus, is what the Lord Jesus teaches. A love of God first, with all heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is, everything, our life, our purpose, everything is to revolve around a love for God. His word, his way, his eternity, his kingdom, his commands, him. And then as a result of that, and because of that, and by the way of that, love your neighbor as yourself. Because you love God, because God has created you, because God has redeemed you, because God has been merciful to you, love those around you. Give what you would want to have done to you to others. Imagine everyone as if you were in their shoes. Empathy, sympathy, compassion, mercy at the sacrifice of self. These are the godly virtues. These are the way of the Lord, not the way of Abimelech, not the way of the devil, not the way of rebellion, not the way of sin. 
We are to seek God, not ourselves. But see, Abimelech is not the only person at fault in this narrative, in this passage. The people are also at fault here. And when we want to be God, we remember that people also desire a God set up in their own image. Now we have one brother in this narrative who survived the, the slaughter. We have one brother who has some wisdom and, and, and a sense manages to survive the slaughter. And with his wisdom, he speaks in a parable, a parable of Shechem. Much like when Gideon was asked to be king, we see some wisdom displayed that comes from his father here. We are indeed desperate for leadership, but at the same time we also despise that leadership. And this parable is very telling of the nature of the desire for a God that is like us. He tells it in the parable of trees. The parable of the trees teaches the principle that lower quality people seek power. That is, people who don't have characters after God's own heart seek power. They pursue it. They look for it. They want it. It's something they, they desire to puff up themselves. The trees that are of better substance, the olive tree, the, the wine tree, all of these, these, they say, look, I'm doing something that is worthwhile. And I would rather be doing this than doing that. But the bramble, the one who doesn't, who doesn't contribute anything of real value, he's the one who wants control and embraces the control. It's amazing to think about that when we think about how our culture and our society looks and reacts and functions. It's amazing to think about the time, even in our country's history, when election campaigns were nowhere near what they are today. Generally, someone would say, so-and-so is a worthy candidate, I nominate him. Is there a second? Second. You are nominated. Run for Senate, please. We think you're worthwhile. And a lot of times in humility, you'd have people saying, oh, no, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. But ultimately, they would. Now, of course, there was ambition in their hearts. But the process was not prove to us how much you want this job. Do you realize how we set up our leadership? They have to prove to us how much they desire to be a representative or to be a leader or to be. And then we have to say, oh, I'm impressed because they relate to me. They look like me. They act like me. They like the same things I do. They have the same, the same stuff in common with me. And yet they're going to be the, they're going to have power. I like that. It's something of a God who's modeled after me. And this parable exposes that, exposes the heart of mankind. And we look for sometimes the people who are least qualified to be our leaders. And then we put them up on a pedestal. And we say, rule over us. Someone that I'm comfortable with. Someone that because I'm comfortable with, I still feel a sense of control over. And of course, it never lasts long. 
When the bramble bush rules over us, that we find that the bramble bush is ultimately inept and doesn't care about us. He cares about himself and his own power and his own way. We, we knew that to begin with, but somehow it still surprises us every time. And with that comes blame and manipulation. Look at this. Now Abimelech's been put in power over them. And by the time you get to, to verse, 20, uh, verse 28... You have people starting to say, uh, who is Abimelech and who is Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam and is not Zibel his officer? If only this people were under my authority, then I would remove Abimelech. You see, already you start to have people saying, well, who is he? I could do a better job. The bramble bush was sitting in power. Well, I'm a more thorny bramble bush, and I'm going to take that bramble bush down. Blame and manipulation start to come in. When people set up an idol and, are, and, and worship that idol, and then that idol gets tarnished, it bothers us. And we look for a new idol that we can blame all our problems on. We blame all our problems on the old one when we look for that new idol. And ultimately, it's all because we're deflecting. We can't blame ourselves. Who is Abimelech? Yeah? Follow my authority. And all your wildest dreams will come true. We know that. We've heard that. We know it never comes to fruition, but we're caught up in it every time. When that happens, there's disappointment and disaster. Psalm 115 reminds us that idols are just objects. They can't see, they can't walk, they can't smell, they can't taste, they can't touch. Yet we want them to control the world for us. We have taken God away, and we all do this on a small level or a big level. We have taken God away, and we have put an idol in his place. And when those idols fall, there is disappointment and very frequently, disaster. I'm always, I mean, we, we know, we've heard these stories. We know that when tragedy strikes, the people feel that they have come to the end of purpose. Uh, think of stories from 1929 when the stock market really plunged. You hear stories of people jumped off buildings. Their money was their idol. Their funding was their idol. We know of people who are absolutely broken. I don't just mean sorrowful. I don't just mean remorseful. I don't just mean in mourning. That's appropriate to a level. But people who are absolutely broken by the death of a loved one. Because that loved one was their idol. Beware of taking God out and putting an idol in. Because that idol will get broken. That idol will get tarnished. That idol will fall into destruction. And you will be without a God that you have made in your own image. Disappointment and unfortunately disaster because your faith is in the wrong place. You are not in control. You will never be in control. And as much as you like to feel that you are ruling in disobedience to God, remember the absolute reality that no one rules in hell. Not the devil. No one. No one is ruling in hell. Instead, there is the truth, the life, and the light of the gospel. 
Embrace the perfect, sovereign rule of God. The only way out of destruction and despair, the only way out of disappointment, the only way out of ongoing warfare and ongoing bitterness is by embracing the perfect, sovereign rule of God. His absolute sovereignty over everything. He controlled when you were born, how you were born, who your parents were, where you live, where you are now, what your struggles are. He controls everything. He has a time that is fixed for your death. And when you live and do with him in control, you will find a greater satisfaction than you realize. At the very end of chapter 9, we are told of Abimelech's end. And it teaches us that we should embrace the sovereign rule of God because it shows the futility and folly of not doing so. The very end of chapter 9 in verse 50, I'll bring your attention there now and you can follow along. I'm going to read verse 50 through the end of the chapter. It says, Then Abimelech, after he had been fighting with uh, the multiple factions that were looking to take him down. Then Abimelech went to Thebes, and he encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower in the city, and all the men and women, all the people of the city, fled there and shut themselves in when they went up to the top of the tower. So Abimelech came as far as the tower and fought against it, and he drew near the door of the tower to burn it with fire. But a certain woman dropped an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me. Lest men say of me, a woman killed him. So his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, they departed, every man to his place. Then God repaid the wickedness of Abimelech, which he had done to his father by killing his seventy brothers. And all the evil of the men of Shechem God returned on their own heads. And on them came the curse of Jotham, the son of of Jeroboam. You see, ultimately, you'll try as hard as your strength will allow, but God will frustrate your, ha- your plans and will humble you. In frustration, he uses that frustration to humble you and remind you of his sovereignty. Notice here that Abimelech could anoint himself as high as he liked. He could be the greatest warrior, and he can continue that fight and think he'd still have victory. And what do we have? A certain woman. A certain woman. No name, no background, no accolades. We don't know anything about her. Just like the certain man who drew, who drew a bow at random to kill King Ahab, we have a certain woman that God uses to take down Abimelech. For all your fighting, for all your intelligence, for all your pride, God will use the smallest, most unlikely thing to take you down if you do not embrace his control and delight in his control. Who would ever have thought six months, four months, three months ago that our society would be in a state like this where something that we cannot even see, something on the microscopic level brings us to our knees, shuts down businesses, doesn't allow churches to gather together, causes people to ask deep questions and fear and wonder. Something 
that by all of our standards is insignificant, ravages through, humbles us, and shows us we are not in control. Could we foresee this? No, we couldn't. And so it's important for you to consider what are your plans? Did the virus change your plans? Who and what is your life for? Are you frustrated? Or are you saying, my life is for God, and whatever his will desires, I will do. And whatever circumstance he puts me in, I will adjust to that circumstance because his kingdom is still more important than me, and I will live for him. It's no, it's no coincidence that Christians in the scripture are called bond slaves of Jesus Christ. We're not called bond slaves just to be cute or as an illustration. It's not figurative. Everything you have is your Lord's. Your money is not your own. It's given you by God to be used for his glory. Your house is not your own. It is given by you, by the Lord, to be used for him and for his kingdom. We look back in feudalism, in history at feudalism as a horrible system, and really there's a lot of abuses because people ruin everything. But God really does have a feudal system amongst his people. But the reality is that it's the best system you could ever really imagine. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying, be my slaves. But you're going to find that it's easier and lighter and more pleasant to be my slave than to try and, and in frustration, control things in your sin. Because you're still not in control. You're still under bondage to sin. You're still worried about what could be taken away, what could happen. Instead, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Lean on me. Trust in me. Turn to me. Be a slave of me. The truth of the matter is, we don't have control. But without control, we have great freedom in Christ, in grace, and in faith. The truth of the gospel is that we die to ourselves. When we talk about being born again, we're, talk about, we're talking about having a new purpose, a new life in Christ. My ambitions are gone. My control is gone. But I now live for Christ. And that truth sets me free. Free from the burden of control. Control is a burden. We're always worried about what could be out of our control or what we can lose. But when we say, I don't want to be in control, I submit and I lay all on Christ, then grace, the unmerited favor of God, is all of God, and it controls our lives, and it directs us. Faith and trust in Him is what guides us from day to day. Christ to all and in all is the most effective for everything and in everything. Are you free? Do you know that freedom of being a slave to Christ? Sounds, sounds contradictory, but it's not. Freedom in being a slave to Christ. Or are you still, still clinging to a delusion of idolatry with frustration and failure? Do you know his peace? Are you full of rest in his control? Let go of self. Let go of sin. 
let go of power and embrace the salvation and rule of your sovereign, omnipotent, perfect, loving Lord. Know this truth, believe this truth, love this truth, and it will set you free and give you eternal life forever and ever. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the message of your gospel, and we thank you that your scriptures continuously show us over and over that we are not enough, we are not in control, and as a matter of fact, when we think we're in control, disaster follows. Help everyone under the sound of my voice to embrace you. May they pray right now to let go of their self, to give their sin to you, to trust on the Lord Jesus Christ, to believe on your death and resurrection, and to embrace you as Lord and Savior. May they know that truth and may they know that freedom and may you take away the burden of control. I pray that everyone hearing me right now would do that. And those who have done it before and know him would just be reminded of the great refreshment of that. Lord, help us to just be all the more close with you, to love and embrace you all the more fully, to destroy our idols, and to embrace your sovereignty and your control. Apply this to us, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen.